0: So good morning and happy Father's Day to every dad, pop, father, grandpa, gramps, papa, papa, abba, da, bobo, nono, apa, otosan, padre, far, vater, papi, oiches, per, baba, tata, farfar. Did I miss anybody? Happy Father's Day to you all. Some of us no longer have our father with us. I've been missing my pop for the last 24 years. Some of you had a less than perfect father. All of you, all of us had a less than perfect father. Some of you maybe had a no-show dad. And that can make this day harder. But no matter who we are, no matter who our human father was, God, the almighty creator of the universe, the giver of life and breath, has offered to adopt every one of us to be part of his giant family. If you've accepted his invitation and that offer of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, then you can call God your Abba, your father, He is perfect in all of his ways. He's always there. He always has time for you. He always wants what's best for you. He's that kind of father. Today, as we dive into Jonah chapter four, we're going to see powerful characteristics and qualities of this perfect Heavenly Father character traits that every one of us dads should try to emulate and to show to our children, even if you're not a dad or even if you're not a man, these qualities are things that all of us can strive for. When people see and experience patience, compassion, generosity, and love from us, we bring glory to our Heavenly Father and we show them what He is like. So this is the final sermon from our series, Running from God's Grace, from the book of Jonah. The theme of God's grace is woven throughout the book. And in case grace just sounds like my daughter's name, or maybe someone you know, or maybe it sounds like a churchy word, grace is a good gift that's totally undeserved. When God gives us something and we've done nothing to work for it, nothing to earn it, nothing good within ourselves that deserves this gift, that's grace. When God forgives us and continues to love us in spite of our sin, then that's mercy. As we wrap up Jonah, we're going to see our need to love the spiritually lost, to share our great God with others. And throughout this narrative of this book written by Jonah himself, we're going to be encouraged as we see how God sovereignly orchestrated events in the life of one of his prophets, Jonah just to show his amazing grace, to show his powerful mercy, and to call this running prophet back to himself again and again. In last week's surprise and maybe shocking message in Jonah chapter 4, God had called Jonah to preach to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah called out to God after preaching this message of repentance and said, God, Why did you forgive them? I can't believe it. I am burning up with anger. And he scolded God for his patience. He scolded God for his compassion. The thing that we all expected wouldn't happen and the thing Jonah expected wouldn't happen was that the people repented of their sins. They saw what they were doing. They turned away from their sins and Jonah was not happy about that. Today, God patiently brings Jonah back one more time and gives him another opportunity to see mercy and grace on display in his own life. This book ends with an unexpected cliffhanger conclusion. Will Jonah pass the final test? So if you're here this morning, if you're watching online, welcome. Uh, You can listen to the previous messages on our website, on our Facebook page, or on the YouTube channel. And those of you that are here, if you look in the bulletin, you'll find some QR codes on the back page. It'll point you in that direction, and you can get the whole series in one shot. So this morning, if you would turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Jonah chapter 4, I'm going to read the last seven verses. If you're looking at a black pew Bible in front of you, it's page 921. If you pull out one of the burgundy or red ones, it's page Oh, sorry, 921 in the red one. It's 727 in the Black Bible. And if you're not using either one of those, Jonah is a little tiny book between Obadiah and Micah, almost at the beginning of the New Testament. So let's hear Jonah chapter 4, verses 4 to 11. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, And sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat in it under the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle, question mark, end of story." How can God leave us like that? How can Jonah leave us like that? Let me recap the story briefly. God called Jonah to preach to Nineveh. Jonah runs away. God sends a storm to get his attention. The sailors pray, they worship, they make vows to the one true God. And then because of his instructions, they throw Jonah overboard into the sea because he said it's their only hope of survival. God sends a giant fish to swallow up Jonah and save him from drowning. After three days and three nights in the belly of the beast, Jonah calls out to God in prayer and in repentance, and he thanks God for his mercy and his grace. Then God again tells Jonah, go preach to Nineveh. But this time, Jonah actually gets up and he goes, and he preaches a message of repentance, or you will be destroyed. The people repent. They stop their sinning. And Jonah, instead of rejoicing, is burning with anger because God didn't carry out his judgment. Jonah really wanted to see the people of Nineveh suffer. And then Jonah basically says to God, I told you so. You're gracious. You're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're full of love. But I wanted to see your wrathful vengeance. I wanted to see justice carried out. I wanted to see you make these people pay. How could you forgive them? God is still working on Jonah, and he patiently asks Jonah to reconsider and reevaluate his words in his angry heart. Do you do well to be so angry? Is that the right response, Jonah? Notice God doesn't blast Jonah, but instead he asks him, was this the right response? we see God's patience. Jesus was famous for his heart-revealing questions. Instead of quickly answering people and saying, no, you're stupid, this is the truth, like dads often do, Jesus asks a deep question that gets that person to help recognize their own needs and better understand their own heart. He helps people arrive at the truth by asking the right questions. And as a father, it's so easy to go into dad-splaining or mansplaining. splaining John will stop me on this after a paragraph or two, and he's like, Dad, I just needed a yes or no, and I'm giving him a history of whatever it is that he's asking for. This is the history of this wrench, and you know this is all the people that used it. I just need the wrench, Dad. I'm thankful when John says I just need the short answer. Or maybe, as a father, you might say something like, I've told you this a thousand times. Never exaggerate. (laughs) How many times do I have to show you this? These are perfect moments for us to patiently listen to the full question and then answer clearly or maybe ask a follow-up question to help our kids discover the answer and to own it for themselves. Instead of getting impatient, instead of getting frustrated, be patient with your kids. Jonah was just like the ungrateful servant in Jesus' parable in Matthew 18. Do you remember that one? A man has a terrible, huge debt, and we've converted this, and it's like millions of dollars. He's thrown into debtor's prison, and he's supposed to pay off the loan while he's in prison. He can't earn money. So the master, the person he owns the money to, says, now I'm going to throw your family in prison too. And he begs and he pleads and says, please forgive me. I'll try to pay you back. And the man says, your debt is wiped away. You owe me nothing. You are free to go. And that man walks out of the prison And he starts knocking on the doors of his neighbors and his family members and says, remember that 50 bucks I lent you 10 years ago? Remember that tool I gave you five years ago? That $10, that $3, pay up, pay up, pay up. And he throws people into prison because they haven't paid their little measly debts to him. This man missed out on the mercy that was shown to him. He was forgiven of so much, and then he didn't show it to anyone else. That's exactly what Jonah is doing there. God saved him from ruining his life. He ran away from God. He shook his fist in God's face, and God said, I forgive you. I love you. Go follow me. And when he preaches the message of repentance, he wants to see those people suffer and die. He totally misses the point that he too is a sinner who doesn't listen to God. He too has been shown so much mercy and given so many good gifts of grace, and yet he doesn't want to see other people get that kind of grace and forgiveness from God. That's self-righteousness. If that's you today, don't be discouraged. So many new believers are excited about their new faith, and they think, great, now I'm going to follow God and nothing is going to go wrong. And then quickly you realize that you're still a sinner. You're still going to be impatient with your kids. You're still going to do something wrong on the way to work. You're still going to struggle with temptation and you will fall into sin. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 5.17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then again in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, is what I keep on doing. How many of you have struggled with this same thing? You've been a believer for years, years, and years, and you think, God, why am I still struggling with this? Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 is part of the answer. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. It's corrupt through its deceitful desires, but be renewed by the spirit of your mind to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God knows our condition, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. God continues to show his long-suffering patience towards his children, just like Jonah. And if you're in that place today and you are still struggling, call out to God. He will gently take you by the hand, and he will lead you back. He promises to forgive you, and He promises that His mercies are new every morning, every morning. Fathers are not usually known for their patience. That's why the Apostle Paul had to hit us over the head with it in Ephesians chapter 6. Parents love to go to this passage because it says, children, obey your parents. But right after that, it says, fathers, doesn't say anything about mothers, but fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. If you didn't know it, I'm now a grandfather, and grandfathers, amazingly, have a lot of patience. Isn't that weird? Maybe it comes with age, maybe it comes with wisdom, maybe it comes with those kids going home at the end of the day, but whatever it is, patience starts seeping into our lives, and... I know there's a lot of things I need to apologize for to my kids because I was impatient. I expected them to get it right the first time. Dads, let's keep working on patience with our children because God is so very patient with us. Next, we have compassion. If you like taking notes, in your bulletin as a little piece of paper and you can fill in these four character qualities of God. As our father. In verse three, Jonah, the drama king, again is contemplating death. He offered to be thrown overboard in the storm. And now, after not seeing Nineveh judged and destroyed, he melodramatically says, Oh Lord, please take my life. Take it from me. It's better to die than live. Come on, Jonah. Woe is me. My compassion would have dried up at this point. If my boys came to me with that kind of uh, story, I would have written them off and written off Jonah too. You've had enough chances. Come on, be real. Jonah is now sitting on the east side of Nineveh. He's up on a hillside watching and still hoping to see fire and brimstone rain down from the skies and wipe out this entire city and everything in it. How's that for compassion? But God is gracious, merciful, abounding in steadfast love, even for His wayward, whiny prophet. Psalm 103.13 that Jan read for us, says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And scripture says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When you know God, when you acknowledge who he is, and that we are nothing but his children, we develop a healthy awe and fear of God knowing that we deserve his judgment, but that he has stayed it and he has provided salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. I remember going to the coin club with my father. He was a collector of lots of things, and maybe nine or ten years old, and I'd go into the VFW or whatever town hall it was. It was always downstairs in a basement room that was cool, but full of smoke. These guys loved their cigars, right? So I'd come home and mom would throw everything in the wash and try and get that off of me. But I would go and they would say, oh, you're Joe's boy. That's who I was known. I don't know if they ever knew my name as Mark, but they knew me as Joe's boy. And wherever I went, I might get an extra comic book or somebody would give me a small coin that wasn't worth a whole lot, but it was a new treasure for me. And I was known as Joe's boy. We need to see ourselves as God's son, God's daughter. Not how great am I, look at all the things I've done, but I'm the father, my father, my heavenly father is the one who creates my identity. I'm his. And he's forgiven me, he's loved me, and he has great compassion for me. Jonah sits outside the city waiting for destruction to come, and God responds with compassion. He sends a shade plant to grow up. Sounds like I'm choked up, but I'm just talking too much. In which verse? Verse 6, Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and made it come up over Jonah. Notice that word appointed. God appointed a giant fish to swallow up and save Jonah. And now God has appointed a giant plant to compassionately shade Jonah from the sun's heat. This plant doesn't get the same attention in our story as the giant fish because it's just a plant. But it's Equally miraculous. It grows up super fast, like it had a truckload of miracle grow dumped on it, and it just pops up and it's tall enough to give shade to the prophet, gives him relief. Some of the uh, commentaries suggest that this may have been a castor oil plant, which you can see in the pictures there. They grow taller than a person, but they have huge leaves that are like this big around. And God created this plant to give relief, comfort, and in His compassion, He provided for Jonah. I never took castor oil as a medicine when I was a kid. Any of you have to suffer through that? I was reading about the things that it is supposed to do, and did it work for any of you? I heard it tastes terrible. I remember it from the little rascals, right, that the kids would line up and they'd have to get their castor oil. That's all I know from real life. But it's a real thing. Even though Jonah was being self righteous, he was being ungrateful, he was unforgiving, basically hard to love, God showed him undeserved compassion and he kept him cool in the hot day. And then notice the end of verse 6 and Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He goes from exceedingly angry to exceedingly glad. What a great word, exceedingly, super happy, two thumbs up. What emoji is that? The one with, I don't know, there's so many variations in the smiles, but probably the red cheeks and the big teeth and he is super happy. Jonah has shade and everything is great. I will honest watch these people die, but I'm happy. I have shade. Things are finally looking up. Wow. Talk about your ups and downs. Jonah is on a roller coaster of emotions, going from extreme anger and hatred to super happy. Look at this great plant. And then verses 7 and 8, our sovereign God controlling everything around Jonah is working on his heart. God appointed this plant to grow quickly to give him shade, And then the next day, God appoints again, He makes this happen. He appoints a worm to attack the plant overnight. And it must munch away at the roots, and the plant withers and dies. And in the morning, God appoints again a scorching hot wind from the east. Maybe it's a shiraco. Is that the right word? one of those hot winds that just blasts across. And now Jonah is near fainting from the sun, the hot wind, and he says, I want to die. Maybe he's thinking, great, now this, God, you must really hate me. Things are going from bad to worse. And God compassionately rebukes Jonah again and says, are you really so angry that you want to die? Over a plant? Really, Jonah? It's the same words that he used. Do you do do well to be angry about a plant? And Jonah says, yes. What about all the people of Nineveh? 120,000 people plus all the animals. God cares about every living creature. You have pity, you have compassion for this plant, but not... The people of this city. This again points to Jonah's self righteousness, to his prejudice. He doesn't care about the people of Nineveh because they're not like him. God loves people regardless of their nationality, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of our language or where we came from, regardless of our heritage. Who our parents are or who they weren't. God loves people and He shows compassion. And Scripture says, His heart breaks when they are hurting. The idea of Jesus crying or weeping happens 20 times more than the t- number of times that he laughs in, in the gospels. Jesus cries 20 more times than he laughs. He wept for Jerusalem. He wept for the people who were lost without a shepherd. He wept for Mary and Martha when they lost their brother Lazarus. <clears throat> Fathers, when your kids have a skinned knee or a broken heart, do they come running to you or do they go to mom? Why is that? As a dad who wanted His boys, to become men, and maybe at the age of three or four, I would probably say something like, walk it off, or that doesn't need stitches, let's just keep going, right? We probably skipped stitches more times than we should have. But God wants us to show compassion for hurting people because He is compassionate. People will know that you care about them, When you listen to their hurts and their pains, grandpas listen to their grandkids' pains more than fathers listen to their sons, especially. Their daughters, tons of compassion, right? Grace, if you're watching, you know that, and the boys know that. So God is loving and compassionate, and He calls us, every one of us, to do that. Thirdly, God is generous. God doesn't just say He's compassionate. His actions demonstrate it. We're tempted to see someone out of work and think, well, they must have messed up. Maybe they didn't go to work on time. Maybe they didn't work hard enough. Or we see someone asking for money or in trouble, and we think, well, if they had just done a little bit more, if they had made better choices, they wouldn't be so far behind in their rent or their car payments. We're so quick to judge people even without the facts. But God, on the other hand, knows exactly why people are struggling. And He still looks on them with compassion and then generously shows grace and mercy. Are you willing to find out the story behind this person's pain or do you just write them off quickly? Jonah was ready to write off an entire city, 120,000 people, and say not a single one of them deserve to live. Do you remember Abraham fighting over saving Sodom and Gomorrah because his family was there? God, if there's 10 righteous people, will you save this city? If there's five, God, if there was only one, would you save this city? And God each time says, yes, for a righteous person, I would save this city. And God sends his angels in to rescue Lot and his family, and the rest of the city is destroyed. People who turn to God, recognize their sin, and recognize that they need to be saved. God will save. In verse 11, God says, they don't even know their right hand from their left. They're blind to spiritual truth. How can I just wipe them out without giving them an opportunity to hear the good news, to hear this call to repentance? These people haven't been warned about the coming judgment, so God generously sends his prophet. But Jonah was anything but generous. He lacked the compassion, and he still wanted them to die. Even though he delivered the message inside, he was hoping and waiting for their destruction. Jonah, the poor excuse for a prophet of God, sits outside the city, still hoping to see the inhabitants suffer and die. Jesus, in a comparison, the perfect prophet, stood on the hillside outside of Jerusalem and he wept because he knew that the fall of Jerusalem was coming. He knew that that city was about to be sacked and leveled by the Roman Empire, and he wept in compassion. He went into the city, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Repent and be saved. Jesus was the perfect prophet. The people were being judged, but instead of hoping for their destruction, Jesus went into the city and offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. He was willing to give up his own life. Jonah wanted to die over and over again, but only so that he would have to stop suffering. He didn't care about anybody. He wasn't offering to die for them. He just wanted to die because he was frustrated and tired of a good, loving God being nice to people. Jesus, instead of wanting people to suffer And die. Instead of wanting people to suffer eternal torment and be separated from God, undeserving people could be saved and adopted by His Father. And Jesus didn't just weep with compassion, but He acted. He generously gave everything for you and for me. In His prayer for His disciples and For those of us who would follow later, Jesus asked the Father to keep them, keep these children from the evil one, sanctify them in your word and your truth. I want to share your love with them, God. And hanging on the cross, giving his own life, giving up everything, Jesus generously said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Just like God said, they don't know their right hand, from the left. They don't know what they're doing, so Father, show them mercy, show them compassion, and forgive them. Grace is giving someone something they have done nothing to deserve. They've done nothing to earn. Many dads like their kids to learn lessons, so we like our kids to earn things. We teach them a lesson about hard work, and good work and sometimes that is a good thing but it's also good to sometimes give our kids something totally undeserved and to teach them the lesson of grace you didn't finish the job you didn't do things the way i wanted to there's still grass in the corners you missed some of the weeds but we're going to go out and have ice cream i love you this is grace and i want you to know how much your father loves you. He gives you gifts every day that you don't even realize because He loves you. And I want to demonstrate that to you too. James 1:17 and 18 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits. God is unbelievably gracious and generous. Are you? And finally, He's loving. We know that God is loving. 1 John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love is how we define God. And if we're not loving to other people, we can't say that we know God or His love if we don't demonstrate it to others. We're faced with the same conundrum from our message a few weeks ago. How can God be holy and just and punish sin, but at the same time be completely loving? How can a loving God punish sinners? How can a loving God let hard things come into the lives of his children? Sometimes he blesses believers, and judges the pagans and sometimes he blesses the unbeliever and punishes his children god is complex he's multifaceted and we can't view him as a two-dimensional character from a story god is always this he's always that god is both and god is other than us god is not human jesus took on human flesh and human form so we could understand a little bit of him. But Almighty God is beyond our full comprehension. And there's always going to be parts of him that we can't understand. But when his word tells us that this is true, we can believe it because everything he says is true, even if we don't understand it. Don't fall into the trap of making God into a version that you can understand, that always does what you want, that always is like grandma with a warm tray of chocolate chip cookies. We learned that from The Matrix, right? That was their version of God. We can't can't create God in our image. He created us partly in His image so that we could show His character to the world around us. Even that truth that Jesus is fully God and fully man is mind-boggling. So God showed his loving kindness. He showed his grace to the people of Nineveh when he chose not to punish them. They repented even though they didn't know what was going to happen next. They didn't know if they would be saved from judgment, but they hoped and God loved them. And he loved his prophet so much that he would put him through all of these trials so that he could see God's character revealed, and hopefully, he could demonstrate it himself. Jonah's story shows the goodness of God, the severity of God played out on a huge stage. But on the cross, God's perfect justice was carried out, and the full punishment that we deserve for our sins, was paid by Jesus Christ. His own son died and bled and was buried in a tomb for you and for me. But the good news is he rose again and he provided not only complete forgiveness, but eternal life, a relationship with your heavenly father, peace with God, and salvation for everyone who believes in the name of Jesus. So wrapping up the book of Jonah, Jonah ran from God, but God was not willing to let Jonah stay wallowing in his foolishness, in his ungratefulness, in his prejudice, and in his self-righteous attitudes and behavior. God loved him so much that he appointed a storm, a fish, a plant, Even the winds that came in the storm and the hot sun, God appointed all of these things to help get Jonah's attention. As Jonah started to see what his own heart was like, as he saw God's complex character, he wrestled with these big questions like, how can God be perfectly just? How can he be righteous and holy? And at the same time, be merciful, loving, and kind, showing grace. Like Jonah's questions about God, this story leaves us with this cliffhanger in verse 12. Sorry, verse 11. Verse 11, God says, shouldn't I pity Nineveh and all the people in it, even the animals that are there? Where's verse 12. Where's the verse where Jonah says, Oh, now I get it. What an idiot I've been. God, thank you for showing this to me over and over again. God, thank you for saving the people of Nineveh. I'm going to go down into the city and have a party with them. We don't know what happens next. Did he stay stubborn and uncaring? Did he stay self righteous? Did he go back to Israel unchanged? Or did he finally recognize just how amazing? his God is. And that this God is not only the God of Israel, but he's the God of the peoples of the whole world. Israel was there to display his goodness to everyone, his blessings. But Jonah, like so many other people, wanted to just keep it for themselves. What happens next? The book doesn't give us the answer. And in the way, that passes the question over to us. What would we do? How will we answer that question? Do the people of Nineveh deserve God's mercy? Do you deserve God's mercy? I don't. And yet, he's shown it. He sent his son to die for me, to die for you, to give you not only the gift of eternal life, but to adopt you into his family so that no matter who you are and who your earthly father was, you can have a heavenly father who is always good, who never misses a game, who always shows up, who always knows the right thing to say at the right time, who knows the good questions to ask, who is patient, who is generous, who is merciful, who is loving. What do I do when I recognize those things? I repent of my sins and I ask Jesus to save me. I accept God's invitation to be adopted. And then, should I have compassion and show love to the lost? Should I care about the millions of people around the world, billions now? Or even the people across the street who are spiritually blind, who are suffering with the weight of their sin? And if I do care, if I do have that compassion, what do I do about it? How do I generously show that compassion, that love? The people around us desperately need to see and experience the Father's character through us. You have the opportunity to show them patience, to show them compassion, to show them generosity, and to show them unconditional love. We bring glory to God when we show them what our Heavenly Father is like. That's another churchy term, glorify God. What does it mean? It means showing people what he is like, living the way that Jesus did. And God takes us step by step throughout our whole walk as new believers to become a little bit more like Jesus. And he shows us mercy every new morning because he knows that we're gonna struggle and stumble and fall along the way, but he's gonna keep taking us by the hand leading us closer and closer to him. So our final takeaways for Jonah. Why did God take Jonah on this amazing journey? In his great mercy, God was doing spiritual surgery on the idols of Jonah's heart. We talked about the idols last week, and if you missed that, you can go back and find it. An idol is anything that we love or want more than God. Anything that we're willing to sin to get or sin to hold on to. Something that's got such a hold in our hearts that we just can't let it go. Anything that is higher than God. So number one, how do I respond to God's word? Jonah was called by God with a message. We have the complete word of God. Do I read it? Do I obey it? Is it the place I go for comfort? Is it the place I go for answers? Do I believe that it is the final authority in my life? Do I believe that it is all sufficient, that it has everything I need for life and godliness? How do I respond to God's Word? Do I treasure it? Do I want to learn it and grow deeper in the knowledge of my Father? That's how we respond to God's Word. Secondly, how do I respond to God's world? Do I have love and compassion for the lost instead of contempt and prejudice? Do I get frustrated with people and just write them off? Do I share the gospel? Do I live as a light to point people to Jesus Christ? Or do I want people to see me and think that I'm the one who's doing this all? Do I bring Glory to God by living out His character to my families, to my neighbor, to my co-workers, my community. As people watch your life, will they know God's patience? Will they know His compassion? Will they know His generosity and His love? And then finally, how do I respond to God's grace? First of all, have I accepted the gift of salvation Through his son, Jesus Christ, have I repented of my sins and said, God, this whole world is not about me? When you listen to Jonah and his whininess, right? It sounds like it's all about Jonah, but God's helping him see there's a lot more going on in this world than just you, Jonah. You're not the center of the universe. Do I try to earn God's favor by working harder, trying more, instead of knowing His grace, knowing it so deeply that it naturally overflows to the people around me. Instead of running from God's grace, embrace it and rejoice in it. Mark's gonna come. We're gonna sing a closing song. There's no coffee afterwards, but there's a great place that you can take pictures with family. And I wish you all a happy Father's Day and a happy Sunday. And in case you didn't hear it, Uh, It was mentioned in announcements, John and I are headed west this afternoon, the only thing to pack is the food, and we're going uh, 1,800, 1,700 miles out to the Badlands, out to Mount Rushmore and celebrate his graduation. So pray for us over all of those miles, uh, and we look forward to seeing you when we are back sometime, maybe in July. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your amazing compassion, patience, generosity, and love for us. Thank you for the way you worked in the life of Jonah, your prophet, not only to help him bring a message of repentance and salvation to lost people, but to work on his own heart, to help him see the things that didn't belong there, the sins, the selfishness, the self-righteousness, the prejudice, the lack of compassion and love. Help us, Lord, to dig in deeper into our own hearts and to see the idols that are there, the things that are keeping us from loving you more and loving the people around us. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace. Brothers and sisters, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen.